Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast, where I bring the newsmakers to you so we can have the conversation and you can think about it. Today is no different. I have with me Dr. Daryl Scott. He's the CEO, National Diversity Coalition for Trump, CEO of Urban Revitalization. He is uh, he's a flamethrower on Twitter, and he keeps everyone on their toes. Also a staunch conservative, and he brings the heat on all of these topics. Pastor, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the invite. <laughs> All right. So uh, you, the Urban Revitalization Coalition, tell everyone where they can find out more about that and what you do for them. Uh, well, Urban, Co- Urban Revitalization Coalition, we've actually expanded uh, more into uh, now we're the UCCUR United Council for Community and Urban Revitalization. And uh, what we're doing is trying to address economic issues in the black community, level the playing field. Um, but it's not just for the black community, it's for the community. Uh, we're, right now, we're focusing on uh, economic, uh, what do we call it, where we want to, uh, once again, improve the economic condition of a number of those in underserved communities and um uh, we're also targeting grant assistance for the small businesses that were negatively impacted by COVID. So we're trying to assist them in getting back going again as well. So we have a lot of things that we're doing, and we're actually broadening into some other areas. There's a fatherhood initiative we're partnering uh, with uh, prison reform, helping prisoners get reacclimated into society. So there are a number of different things that we're doing. All right. So that is fabulous. And I love that we can now segue from that into a larger discussion. I I think one of the things that everyone has a question about is we hear so often that there's going to be this big bloodbath in November. There's going to be this big reckoning, um, the polling showing that so many black Americans, Hispanic Americans, and even core constituencies of the Democrats are turning away from them because of their focus on critical race theory, transgender, you know, policy in schools. And critical race theory, Uh, you know, and I kind of say that one twice because it's diversity, equity and inclusion. It's a bunch of different things, but it's turning people off because they're they're not responding to any kind of reforms in that area. They don't want anyone else to have any say in that conversation. It's their way or the highway and voters are turned away from that. And so it kind of looks like it's the Republicans fight to lose in the fall. But in order to win any battle, you need to have strategy. You need to have tactics for implementing strategy. So black American voter patterns have shifted towards Republicans and could shift in even greater ways in an, in an atmosphere like this. But where do you see it going? And, and are the Republicans taking the right tack? I think the Republican Party needs to improve on its messaging to the black community and stop focusing on negatives and focus on the positives as well. I've had conversations with some people about Black uh, community is not a monolith, but we're talking about consolidating uh, our efforts uh, right here on the right so that we can make sure that policies that positively impact our community are by candidates. And so I've had some conversations with some pretty pretty important people, and actually it's going to be a to people to call. have this conversation about not just giving even though we're 
to vote Republican, but we're going to try to advance candidates that we think can be uh, beneficial to our cause as well. I think the messaging has to be improved to the community. I think there are so many positive things that the Republican Party has to offer, but the messaging is wrong. And so if they can improve upon the messaging and um, in the improvement of the messaging, improvement on the sensitivity towards the black community uh, that there seems to be a lack of, I believe that can be a big help in um, the black community responding for the Republicans. Because black people, let me tell you something what we'll do. We'll set it out. If we're not happy with what we hear from either side, we'll set out both sides. That's just how we are. And so, you know, that's a very real possibility as well. Well, and we have seen that. And so Democrats are aware of that. They often will say we have to have an issue to motivate black voters to get to the polls. But then what they do is they dumb everything down. Well, you know, we're going to do reparations and they'll bring up a subject that they clearly don't care. any Democrats don't care anything about giving black Americans reparations, but they'll bring it up so that they can try to motivate people to turn out. And then it's like. Oh, look, you know, Lucy here holds the football. Charlie goes to, you know, kick it and then they snatch it away. And then, of course, people are left wondering, well, what policy did we actually get? And you were one of the first people out of the gate back when President Trump was actually a candidate talking about how the Democrats often will say, here are some of the things we want to do for black America. And then they never deliver on it. And it just keeps getting pushed to the next midterm, the next general, the next. And um, black Americans are, I think, kind of waking up to that and saying, you know, uh, LGBTQ, they got Obergefell. They've, they've gotten transgender policy. They're, that's what Democrats are currently fighting for, is getting more transgender ideology and policy into every er- aspect of our lives. But they're not fighting for anything that they've promised black Americans. So they don't deliver. And when you say black Americans will sit out, yes, and that does have an impact. But in the end, we still don't get policy. So there's, there has to be a better way. And the messaging aspect is, is something that I, I really wish we could have a deeper conversation. But people are so sensitive. They get so upset. Any criticism at all. And, you know, some Republicans just shut down and, and then, then we're dead in the water. But you, I, you know, Stacey, I've got to be honest. And I'm honest to a fault. And everything you're saying is very, very uh, viable. But one thing we have to admit is the fact that a lot of the policies that, and I'm not an apologist for the Democrats. Believe me, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm opposed to everything they represent. But a lot of the policies that they introduce for the black community that they promise, the reason they don't perform is because of Republican opposition to it. Now, I don't want to be blind to that fact that it seems as if the Republican Party is more focused on the perceived negatives. All of the spokespeople for the, for the Republican Party focus on the perceived negatives in the black community and don't advance any po- – I really don't know of any positive initiatives that the Republican Party is advancing towards blacks. I had a conversation on television with uh, a hostess one time, and um, I was talking about how they refused to campaign to the black community. And, and I know this firsthand because I've had that conversation during election time, the, the, the money that's spent to campaign towards the white community and the money that's not spent to campaign towards the black community. And they said to me, well, we don't want to pander. And I said, well, why is it pandering when it comes to blacks? but it's outreach when it comes to other races. I said, if, if you're telling me you're going and showing up at the community event is pandering, you showing up at, I'm going to use just metaphorically, you showing up at the, at the cookout is pandering, then what is the Lincoln Day dinner? 
If that's the case, if the cookout is the cookout of the black community's Lincoln Day dinner, you can't say it's outreach to white, but it's pandering to black. And that's what I mean by the messaging has changed. And what I said was this. I said, in the past, the Republican Party didn't need the black vote in order to win elections. But now it does. The black community, the black voter has woke up. Their sleeping giant has woke up and is not going back to sleep. And it, we realize the power that we have in our vote to influence elections. And you better get with the program. Instead of getting mad at it, you better get with it and realize the black community is deciding and determining elections. Listen, I was at the White House on election eve when it came down to five counties left to be tallied in the election. One in Michigan, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, uh, Michigan, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. It was two others, whatever. And I said, are these all black counties? They said, yeah. I said, we're in trouble. And, 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 and it's the truth of the matter that we have to recognize the power and influence of the black vote and be sensitive to the black voter as well. Listen, we're down for everything that the Republicans have to offer, but be down for what we want as well. So talk to me a little bit about the policies, because I know for my podcast listeners, the first thing that's going to come question they're going to ask is, well, then what is it that the Democrats are offering that we should be supporting as Republicans? Or what what policy should the Republican Party be offering to kind of take control of? Because if you control the policy offering, then you can say this is the way it will be implemented or you can have better uh, relationships with stakeholders on implementation. So what are, name off a couple of things that the Republicans should either be offering or supporting. Well, we need to address the economic disparity in the black community. Access to capital is one. That's one thing that we really tried to get President Trump to focus on. He was going to address it with the platinum plan, access to capital. One of the reasons why a number of black Businesses are disenfranchised because we don't have the access to the capital that other businesses do. That's one thing. Let me tell you something. We want to talk about crime. We want to talk about the disparities that exist, all the negatives of the black community. If you think about it, most of the crime committed in the black community is financially based crime. Drugs, that's financial based. Robbery. That's financial. Our crimes of passion are actually no higher than any other races. Uh, crimes of passion. But when you're talking about the others, the other crime that everyone seems to highlight when it comes to the black community, they're, they're financial-based crimes. And so if we can improve the overall financial condition of the black community, it will alleviate a lot of the crime in the black community. If, I have, if I'm making money, I don't have to steal. If I'm making money, I don't have to rob. If I'm making legitimate money, I don't have to sell drugs. And so these are some of the issues that we need to just we need to come up with the economic plans that can positively affect the black community and impact the black community in the sense that it will cause uh, a lot of the uh, negatives that our community suffers from to be alleviated. School choice is another. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm for school choice. Yeah, and that's a, that's one where we don't even I, I don't feel like the Republican Party is fully engaged on school choice. Um, in, in fact, you know, Pastor Scott, school choice was what helped propel Governor DeSantis to his position. And he went there as the governor on the votes of black women who they literally said, Governor DeSantis will give your child an opportunity to go to a school that works. And this other candidate will not. And black women said, my child getting a good school and voted for him. And so his margin was less than 40,000 votes. But it mattered because it was black women who put him there. Republicans don't really campaign on school choice. 
I have this conversation in the White House, heading down the final stretch of the administration. I said, let me tell you something about school choice. One of the reasons why black people will be in agreement with it. And I'm just talking about personal experience that I know from where I live. I know kids that have transferred, and, and, and the reason they've done this was because they weren't homeowners. I know kids that went to certain schools. I know a number of them personally went to certain schools where they played sports, and they were on the second string or third string. But their parents moved into a different neighborhood and put them into a different school where they were able to be a, a starter on that other school and wound up getting college scholarships. For a number of our people, sports is the only way out. The parents can't afford college, but if their kid can get an athletic scholarship in, in football, an athletic scholarship in basketball or whatever, an athletic scholarship in track, they will have an opportunity to go on to a higher education. I know a boy in particular never knew his father, and his mother told him when he was young. She said, your only way out of here is you got to get a scholarship. Now, he wound up getting an academic scholarship, but he, want, but he got a football scholarship as well. And, and, and that means something to a lot of black families, that our ticket out or his ticket out, his ticket to a higher education because we can't afford college, is through uh, scholarships. And he has a better chance of getting his scholarship if I have school choice. But to be quite honest, some people don't want our people moving into certain neighborhoods. They don't want their kids coming out here to school with us. And it is what it is. But here's the thing. If you improve the overall economics, if I make enough money, then I'll be able to choose the school because I can move into a neighborhood that has a better school. So it's still, it seems like all of the problems eventually wind up as a matter of economics. The Bible says money answers all things. If I want my kid to go to a better school, I need to move into a better neighborhood. And if I'm able to, if I can afford it, I'll move there. Well, and that's what most people do is they, you know, this with without school choice, you just simply work your butt off and do whatever you have to do to move into, even if it's a small house that you don't want, or it's, you know, an apartment or a townhouse, you do what you can to get into that school district. And then once you've done that, your whole trajectory has changed. And that happened a lot under President Trump, where Americans were able to take advantage of that highest median household income for a family of four, and they were able to shift their priorities and move to a better school district or, you know, what have you. It was it was a time where people were reevaluating what they believed about what they could and couldn't do. But turning to this more difficult conversation, and I love those two issues. Those are two issues that Republicans could easily campaign on and really make a huge difference because the Republican Party policy on economics, um, on, on you know, domestic policy as it pertains to job creation, it's sound. It's not rooted in any, any ideology. It's just good monetary policy, good fiscal policy. And then for school choice, you know, it doesn't really matter if people in the district want other people moving in. What matters is that school districts do have the control and option of opening new buildings, of building new buildings within districts, of splitting districts into, I I know of a district in uh, Kentucky, it's outside of Louisville. And what they did was when school choice became the rule of the day in Louisville, Kentucky, the entire metro area, they simply privatized their district and they have a K through eight building and everyone else for high school, you go to private school, you go to public school in another district. It's, it's not their concern. They wanted their, their uh, little system that they had in their little town to remain a closed system for people who actually live there. That is an option for people. So school choice doesn't have to be a situation where a district that doesn't want people coming in is forced to have people coming in. There are many ways of structuring so that you can maintain or expand or 
You can do whatever you want. This is America. But let's let's talk to something that, that is going on right now. And it's, it also impacts black America in the worst possible way. We have the highest percentage uh, of abortions. We are a tiny minority of Americans. We're only about 7% of American are, are, are black women. So we're 7% of the population, but we have 32 to 38% of the abortions. And now you have the possibility of Roe v. Wade being struck down at the federal level and remanded back to the states. And the Democrats are losing their mind. They'll campaign harder on this than any other thing because they want to keep Planned Parenthood in business and they want Planned Parenthood aborting black babies. But how do Republicans talk about this? Well, you know, Republicans have, um, as a party, we've been consistent in our opposition to Roe versus Wade. And um, the Republicans, those that do message it regarding the black community on the right, actually have used terms like genocide to describe it that there is a disproportionate number of blacks that have abortions. And they look at any number of reasons why. One of the main reasons being uh, the finances, uh, the financial uh, economics, the financial responsibility that comes along with it. Uh, I think a lot of it is not only financial responsibility, but just sexual irresponsibility. And once again, it's the messaging. You know, people act as if now... An abortion is like getting a root canal. There's no big thing. And there are a lot of different dynamics that come into play. When does conception begin? Is the actual termination of a human life? I know people that have had abortions that have went on to regret them. A number of the women uh, that I know that have had abortions, if they had to do it over, they wouldn't do it again. But there are others that were serial aborters. Not only, not all black either. And so, uh, you know, it's it's something that has to be addressed, but I think it being returned back to the states is the proper way to go. I don't think there should be federal oversight over the enforcement of abortion rights. I think it's a state issue. I think life begins at conception. I think that um, it's something that uh, needed to be addressed. And I, I, I actually commend the Republican Party and the GOP for our efforts in overturning Roe vs. Wade. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think when you talk about the, you know, it's anecdotal, obviously, and that's the point that leftists will make. Oh, you know, Pastor Scott, your experience with women regretting abortions, that's anecdotal. But eh, we actually have statistical data and tracking over the years that shows that since the passage of Roe v. Wade, women have been materially harmed by participating in abortion. And they're usually lied to and told, you, you this is nothing. You, you won't regret it because it's just a clump of cells. How could you possibly have any regrets right. about it? And when they feel bad later, they're told, just get over it. Stop talking about it. You'll feel better if you stop talking about it. So they internalize that. And I believe that is a primary driver, Pastor Scott, of women becoming serial aborters. They become haters of themselves, they, and they, they go into a downward spiral. And so they're, they're harming themselves. It's a form of self-harm to serially abort babies instead of using contraception or simply deciding that you're going to become celibate for a while so that you can heal. Because, you know, you, you talked about sexual irresponsibility. That's, that's, I mean, if you're not having sex, you can't get pregnant. These are things, it's, it's almost like strike, a lightning strike should come down and hit me in this little studio for saying the way that you get pregnant and, you know, unintended pregnancies come from sex, casual sex. So if you're married and you know you can get pregnant if you have sex, you know what you're doing. You, you're either having contraception use so that you're not getting pregnant or you're saying, you know, we might, we might have a baby. But you're married so it's much less stressful and you're not thinking about abortion. On the other hand, there is no way to completely eradicate 
a situation in which it involves humans and the decisions that we make. So the policy has to be good and sound and our way of talking about it has to be good and sound. And I agree with you, the Republicans have done the right things on abortion as a discussion, you know, protecting women, uh, offering services and care to women and trying to help women make a right choice and not having an abortion through the use of pregnancy resource centers. So that brings us to another issue having to do with life, only on the opposite side. I saw you sending out some tweets that were like volcanic fire um, and people were getting hit and slayed left and right. And, you know, there was wailing and gnashing of teeth. But you have a perspective on the Buffalo shooting. (laughs) And when I saw you on my calendar for today, I said, oh, yeah, I'm gonna have to ask him about these tweets because you you consistently come down kind of almost in the middle of an issue. You're on the right side of the issue, but you're coming in pointing out the deficiencies in our language and messaging surrounding how we discuss these huge stories. And the Buffalo shooting has really exposed a few craters. A few things have come to the fore. So talk to us about your perspective on the shooting and then the reactions that you've seen from both sides. I mean, it's very, very unfortunate. I really feel bad for the people that were victims of uh, this this. Uh, evil uh, villain, for lack of a better term. Um, What I was disappointed in was the reaction of the right. And with me being on the right, I'm guilty by osmosis or guilty by association. So I have to detach myself from this reaction because the reaction, it seems as if those of us on the right were more concerned about protecting the reputation of Tucker Carlson or protecting the reputation of Fox News than they were about these 10 dead black people. I was like, wait a minute, this is this is ridiculous. Now I'm waiting on somebody that's quote-unquote a leader or an influencer on the right to at least express sympathy towards the victims rather than engage in this politicizing of it and trying to, oh no, Tucker, Tucker didn't say it. Tucker didn't do anything. How dare you? You don't talk about Tucker. It's 10 dead black people right here. If they were 10 dead, let me tell you something. Now, I got to be blunt to a fault. I tell you this much. If a black dude had a drove 200 miles away from Chicago and drove into a white suburb and shot up 10 white people at a, at a, at a white supermarket, believe me, you'd have had a lot of the leadership of the right commenting on that and expressing sympathy towards those victims and wouldn't have been so concerned about protecting anybody's reputation. And that's what disappointed me. Can you at least say, I'm very sorry that these people died rather than just go into a self-protective mode over uh, 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 the, 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 the Tucker Carlson didn't do it. And, 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 and he didn't do it. And, and the guy was mentally ill and, and all of this excuse-making, can you at least say it's sad that these people died? And I still haven't seen it. I still haven't seen it. I see statements and tweets about all the dumbest stuff in the world. I saw one guy tweet out two, three weeks ago, the white man is under attack in America and got thousands of likes. And that same person is silent now. I'm waiting on the... The, the, the people that the right trots out, the blacks on the right, that they trot out to defend the things every time something is said, and they're quiet about it. And I just say, wow, this lack of sympathy is, is, is louder. This silence is louder uh, than anything else. I don't like it. It's, it's, it's disappointing to me. It's, well, and so I saw that, and I thought, you know, okay, so what will the response be? 
So you send out that heartfelt, uh, it's basically you're, you're making a plea to people to remember that other people were killed. And it was a massacre. Yeah. And, and to kind of put up the, the images of the people and to highlight their lives, I saw one of them, one of the, the elderly women who was killed in the shooting ran a food pantry on the weekend. And the first thing I thought was, you know, mm, this is demonic. This lady was killed yeah. at, at shopping for groceries. And on the weekend, right. she takes some of that food she's buying and she gives it away um, to people who are hungry. There, there's more to this than just this, you know, he's mentally ill. I believe, Pastor, if you if you run around shooting people that you don't know, that you plan out a, an attack, yeah, you're mentally ill, but not mentally ill in the way that you should be able to escape the ramifications of your actions. I hate that American policy is if a person is mentally ill, they can kill folks and then go live in a, you know, some kind of fancy glorified psychiatric facility. And then once they start behaving normally again, they get to go back out on the street like they never killed anybody. You kill 10 people, you go to the death penalty. You can make your amends with Jesus on your way there or not. That's your choice. But if you're killing people, 10 people at a time, that should be automatic death penalty if you're convicted. Not Oh, well, he, he's had mental problems. I'm tired of that. I don't think he's mentally ill. I think he's just dysfunctional. Because right. he's not insane. Because when, when I was younger, correct me if I'm wrong, insanity is upon the person know the difference between right and wrong. And if the person didn't know the difference between right and wrong, then they would say they were insane. He knew the difference between right and wrong. He knew what he was doing was bad. That's why he surrendered. Because I knew I did a bad thing. Now I'm giving myself over to the police. He knew what he was here. He was smart enough to, to stalk the place out and do reconnaissance on it and to, to plan a strategy and to, to write out a manifesto and all that. That guy wasn't crazy. He knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew why he was doing it. And I'm tired because you know what? If that's the case, if he's mentally ill, then all the kids they represent are shooting up Chicago, they're mentally ill too. If every person shoots up 10 people, he's mentally ill, and every time a black person shoots up 10 people, they're a thug. And, uh, 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 I'm not going for that. It's got to be, the Bible says a false balance is an abomination. It's got to be fair across the board. If he's mentally ill, then he's mentally ill too. If he's not mentally, if these people aren't mentally ill, then he's not mentally ill. Very few of these people who do these mass shootings, in my opinion, are truly mentally ill because they take steps to hide what they're doing but when they're in the planning phase. So if you're crazy, right. you'll tell everybody, right. well, I'm going to go shoot up such and so and so. And some of them do. Now, some of them do say that and nobody pays attention and then they go shoot up a school that those people probably are legitimately mentally ill because they're telling people beforehand, I'm going to go shoot a whole bunch of people. I, I, my parents have a gun and I'm going to take it and I'm going to go kill some people because I'm being bullied. Those people are actually announcing their intent. That is not normal behavior. If you actually want to preserve your own life, you won't tell people you're going to go do something like this. And, and right. you'll plan it out. You'll hide the planning. You will put out a manifesto so that you can have fame afterwards. And then when it's time to actually be arrested, instead of shooting yourself or going out in a you know blaze of gunfire, they put the gun down and they surrender and they put their hands up. Those are the actions of someone who wants to preserve their life, not someone who's crazy. So look, I want to dig into this a little bit further. And this is an uncomfortable conversation. And so if you're listening to the podcast right now, this is the conversation people say they want to hear. But then when it happens, you, you tune out, you don't listen, you become defensive. So let's not be defensive. Let's actually listen to Pastor Scott and Stacy have this conversation. You talked about very passionately, Pastor Scott, 
how you didn't see people highlighting the lives of the black people who were killed in Buffalo, how when you called it out, they were silent. Some of the biggest names, some of the influencers, et cetera, they're not treating these lives with the same tenderness and care as others. Why is that and how can we change it? You know, I don't want to play the race card, so I'm going to try not to. They had more sympathy for Kyle Rittenhouse who shot three people. They have more sympathy for Nicholas Sandman, who got into a staring contest with an Indian, than they have for the 10 black people that were found dead. When I say more sympathy, they say, well, no, we did. Well, you have, you have more of a public expression of sympathy. Let's put it that way. There was more of a public expression of sympathy for Kyle Rittenhouse, for Nicholas Sandman, than there was for these 10 dead black people. And it's the truth anyway, whether people want to admit it or acknowledge it or receive it or not. It's the truth anyway. And it's sad that people are so, you know, we're so busy being caught up in this left-right politics. And I try to stay away from that the, the, the best that I can because, to be quite honest, I have a whole lot of friends and family members that are Democrats. And I do not hate them because they are Democrats. I will not hate anyone because they're a Democrat. And if all lives matter, Democrat lives matter too. So I try to look at people as Americans first. These are 10 black Americans, you know, and I try to look at them and give them the same regard that I would give uh, to any other American. And I, once again, just the public expressions of sympathy, I don't see them and I haven't seen them. And it, it disappoints me a whole lot that I can see statements being put out and tweets being put out about a whole lot of dumb stuff and nothing put out to say it's tragic, it's sad what happened to those people today. They were so busy just trying to run to make it a Democrat versus Republican, left versus right, conservative versus liberal issue, and to see who gets the blame. That's all it was, the blame. Meanwhile, it's 10 dead people with 10 different families that have to deal with these deaths. And all we're trying to see is, well, it ain't my fault. No, it's his fault. No, it's not his fault. It's his fault. No, it's not his fault. No, it's the shooter's fault. That's whose fault it is. Amen. The guy that shot him, it's his fault. And so I'm not trying to place blame on anybody, but what, my God, I think, you know, it's just like, it's just, I don't know. It makes me say, what if? If this was another demographic, to be quite honest, when there was a lot of Asian hate going along, at least the Asian community got sympathy for what happened. You understand what I'm saying? They did. There was an outpouring of support from both sides. I've not yeah. seen the sympathy. I've not seen a public expression of sympathy. You know, and we can hate Biden all we want to hate Biden, but at least Biden said it's horrible what happened to these people. At least he said it. Now, well, he did. He did say it. He did or not? He at least he said it. He, he he's using it for political gain. I mean, I I don't know and how much he really understood. Too, but at least we could. But at least he said it. He at did. Least he said it. He did. We can't so, even say it. Well, but but there's. I think. So sometimes I'm. I think when I see stuff like this, I'm like, well, it's just that the they they're waiting on the you know this certain black conservative to say it or you know and and I'm not even going to go into like the, this isn't a discussion between you and I. White conservatives to say it. Well, but Not that's the point. The conservatives. I want the white conservatives to say it, too. Well, we want everyone to express concern. But what I'm saying is sometimes when I see this, like when I saw the conversation that you were having on Twitter, I was like, well, would would it matter if it was this person or that person? Because when I saw them attacking Tucker Carlson, I made the point that the that you've already made here. This 
is the responsibility of the person who pulled the trigger. So it doesn't matter if you blame Tucker Carlson or you blame uh, Bernie Sanders when when the, the shooting happened at the congressional baseball field. Everyone was saying, well, it's Bernie Sanders' fault. And I said, yeah, it is if you believe that people shoot people because they read stuff on the, on the, uh, you know, the Internet. I believe people shoot people because they want to. And so it's his fault for shooting up the congressional baseball field. And it's this guy for shooting up the, the grocery store in the black neighborhood. Right. But it, saying that, I, I'm now worried about Tucker Carlson because you and I both know the man has ample means to provide for his own security. He's one of the biggest television shows in America. He can certainly talk about any issue he wants and change hearts and minds or enrage, you know, his haters. So he doesn't actually need our defense, but it is something about expressing sympathy. We all know it's the right thing to do. It's why we do it. And I just, I'm trying to drill down to why there isn't sympathy. I'm not talking about, you know, a weekend in Chicago where there are people who are involved in the drug trade and there's, you know, turf wars and there are people who get shot and nobody expresses sympathy for that. But when people are shot in the grocery store and they're 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 literally just buying food and they're being shot because they're black, I just I'm still trying to figure out why there's not sympathy there. Why wasn't there an outpouring of sympathy? Is it because we're not used to it? Look, Tracy, I'm I'm on the right. I'ma say it. I'ma say it's because it's black. You know why? Because people so closely identify the black community with the Democratic Party that the, the sympathy isn't there. It's not there. It's just because we are automatically associated with the Democratic Party. Because I, I, once again, if it had been a, a different kind of community, a different kind of shooter, and different kind of victims, the sympathy would have been there. That's my thought. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I just I feel like it's it, it it hurts us, and I don't mean it hurts us politically. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking because usually if if you know, we're having a discussion here on the podcast and I say, oh, that hurts us. I'm talking about it hurts the bottom line of getting out the vote or accomplishing political aims or things like that. I'm I'm speaking from the side where people need to be seen as people in order for them to identify with you, in order for them to even begin to hear a message that you might have or begin to have an affiliation with you. And the Democrats actually do pretend and make noises like they care about black Americans to the degree that they're able to lie and steal those votes. Because I feel like it's stealing when you don't give anything in response. But but we don't. We don't. Republicans aren't able to express that sympathy. And because of that, we're not able to make inroads. I really feel like that's but a part of it. But let me say this, Stacey, and I, and I mean it. And once again, I'm a Republican. I've been one. But I'm, I, 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 I still have to do what the Bible says, try to judge right of judgment. And I've said this, and I've said it, and I've said it again. I've said it in the White House. I've said it on Twitter. If black people feel like we have suffered injustice, we don't have advocates on the to take our issue public and make it a national concern. Now, they can talk about Jesse Jackson. They can talk about Al Sharpton. We can talk about uh, uh, Ben Crump all we want to. But if I'm a black person and I think I've been harmed, I don't have anybody on the right that was in my cause. And if I get somebody on the left that comes along and wants to tap in my cause, I'm not going to refuse that simply because they're not a Republican or because they're a Democrat. If it had not been for those guys championing certain causes, they would have never seen the light of day. Those causes were, George Floyd had been dead before that came out. 
You see what I'm saying? If they don't champion and abide our Barry, who's going to champion? Because the right show ain't championing for him. The right is condemning. The right is saying, well, he trespassed. He should have got killed. And so that influences people's perception of a party. Once again, we, need, we don't have anybody on the right to advocate for us. And it's a true statement. We don't have anybody. Nobody on the right would champion our cause. So in this thing, we have to find those who are willing to speak the truth and advocate or we're not going to make any headway. We're so busy trying to make excuses. No expression of sympathy for the 10 black people, the black grandmothers that died. One guy was on TV crying and saying, what am I going to tell my grandfather who's in the nursing home about my grandmother that took care of him every day and said, went to the store to buy something to bring back? What am I telling him? Grandma's dead because of a white supremacist. How am I going to tell him this? And who's standing up next to him? Benjamin Crump. No, not Tim Scott. Not any black Republican from the right. Only the left. And when somebody needs a shoulder to cry on, they're not going to ask a political persuasion before they start crying. If you're drowning in the ocean and somebody wants to throw you a, a life preserver, you're not going to ask, are you a Democrat or a Republican? Now, we keep dropping the ball in that area, and we wonder why. And it's because, of, once again, that's all part of the overall messaging. The, the only thing you can point out is what we're doing bad, but you don't try to help us when we're harmed. We don't have any black champions on the right. We don't have any, any, any champions. I don't want to just say black. We don't have any champions on the right that would take up our cause and defend us. And, and that's what that's that's what I, and to be quite honest, our lack of sympathy, it's going to hurt us in this in, in this next election. This is going to come up in that election and our lack of sympathy for it and our only effort being to defend Tucker Carlson. That's going to hurt in this next election. Well, the way to change that is to passionately look at what's happening and comment on it from the heart instead of everything being left or right. And that's coming from, you know, for me, uh, you know, Stacy on the right, that's the name of my podcast and my show. Um, that is my political persuasion. But if we don't have any heart in this thing, we aren't going to be able to make the inroads we want. And more than that, You're right. You're helping right. people, right. helping people. Are, it, are we really in this to help people? That's a question. That, that's something we have to ask ourselves. Um, if our policy surrounds the idea that we want to help people, we want to uplift them, then that will soften our hearts and we will be better equipped to handle these big stories. I, I certainly, I'm so glad that we could have this conversation. I know, you know, there, I may get some angry emails or maybe I'll get some emails from people who <laughs> have listened and understood what we are talking about. This isn't about vilifying anybody. It, you and I have not renounced the Republican party. We are certainly here to have this conversation because we want things to be better and we want to be successful, not just politically, but as people, as Americans. I'll give you the final word here, Pastor Scott. Thank you for your time. I, I've had this conversation with uh, the powers that be in the in the RNC. I mean, in the in the in the in the office of the head of the RNC. I've had these conversations about the messaging and everything I've talked about on the air. I don't bite my tongue, and um, I think we will make some positive strides because of this. I try to stir the pot and use whatever whatever small measure of influence that I have to at least cause people to think. You know, there's a lot of pushback that comes with it. It seems as if every time I defend us, I get pushback. Uh, but it's it's good. It's, it's, it's going to pan out. But I think we'll make some progress. I think we'll make some advances. 
I think that some things are wake-up calls for us. And things are going to change. I've had conversations, and and I'm not going to just try to wait for them to change. I'm going to do my best to try to make them change. Well, that's all we can do. And also, we can read your tweets. I will have links to everything in the show notes today. Maybe maybe you don't know how you feel about the conversation that Pastor Scott and I had today. Go to his Twitter feed, read it. Uh, maybe maybe check out some of the stories. Maybe type in Buffalo shooting or Buffalo shooter. Read the reactions there and see where you come down on this. I'm always here to inform you. If you disagree, that's your right. I, I actually think that makes us smarter people. When we disagree, we'll do more research. In any case, our effort here has been to draw attention, shine light, and hopefully bring people closer together on the issue of us all being humans created in the image of God and wanting better for our country. Uh, Pastor Daryl Scott, it is always a pleasure when I have you on the show, especially today, our conversation, I feel like it was so valuable to the larger pieces that we're all trying to work towards. Um, Thank you for your time today. CEO, National Diversity Coalition for Trump, CEO, Urban Revitalization Coalition, and friend of mine, Dr. Daryl Scott, it's been a pleasure to have you today. God bless you. All right. And you know what? I will be back with more Stacey on the Right podcasts soon. God bless you. Enjoy your day.